listeners, welcome back to the Digital Adoption Show by Watfix, which is a digital adoption solution that helps in streamlining adoption across your entire enterprise software stack. This podcast here is your go-to show for a 360-degree view of digital adoption, learning, and training innovations in companies across the globe. And in our journey so far, we have hosted luminaries and influencers and discussed how they have helped companies upskill their human resources, train them, and how they successfully helped in making their work with the best possible version of themselves. I'm your host, Gokul Suresh, and I lead the marketing team at WhatFix, and it's my absolute pleasure today to welcome our guest, Dr. Britt Andreda, the CEO and president at Seventh Mind Inc., and also the former chief learning officer at lynda.com. So with, with, with about 30 years of experience, Dr. Britt Andreda is an internationally recognized thought leader who creates brain science-based solutions for today's challenges. Currently at Seventh Mind Inc., Britt has been drawing on a unique background in leadership, neuroscience, psychology, and learning to unlock the best in people and organizations. Britt, welcome to the Digital Adoption Show. I'm truly excited to host you and learn more about your career journey and the experiments that you've done in LND and brain science over the years. Well, it's wonderful to connect with you too, Gokul. I'm excited to be part of your show this morning and to connect with your listeners around the world. Yeah, so, you know, before we start about it, I just wanted to give you a brief intro. Uh, you know, Britt has published several titles, including Why to Connect, which is about the brain science of teams and a new model for creating collaboration and inclusion. Then Why to Grow, which helps you harness the power of brain science to master any skill. And the third part of the series, why to resist, which is about brain science of why change fails and the new models that you can use to drive success. Well, with all that I've heard and read about you, Brett, uh, honestly, I could go on talking about you here and, uh, you know, but it would be the purpose of this podcast because people are listening to this podcast because of you. So what more would you like to add to your introduction here? Well, I think what sets my work apart is that I bring a unique combination of being both a researcher and a practitioner. I've been a learning professional my entire career. So I can read the latest studies coming out of Stanford and Harvard and MIT, et cetera, and merge them with industry studies like Gallup and Deloitte's. But then I can translate those into really useful tools for working people to use every day. And so after I wrote my books, I also built learning solutions that people can get certified in and train their own organizations on how to move more effectively through change, how to create better teams, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, anyway, congratulations on those books. You know, three, three books in the series, right? So are you planning on more books there? I am, there's, there's another one coming out in 2021. Okay, awesome. And um, I'm really intrigued about the thought process while writing these books. So what actually inspired you and what are you trying to showcase through the series? Well, you know, it was an accidental journey. You know, the, the first book, Wired to Grow, which I just updated and released a second edition of, you know, I started researching the neuroscience of learning just so I could be better at my craft. So here I was, chief learning officer. I wanted to see what was better. And I, I was seeing what was, you know, I was really intrigued by brain science. So I just studied it for me. And then I did a presentation at lynda.com to the employees and they were like, oh my gosh, you need to, first of all, we need to record you and put this in the library and you need to turn this into a book or something. So that was my first book and I had finished it. And then right after that is when LinkedIn purchased lynda.com. 
so we were in the middle of this massive change and I'm certified in all the change models and I teach them. And I realized that all of them were wrong, that they were not helping when you're actually in the middle of a big change. So I thought, mm -hmm. well, huh, I wonder what brain science has to say about change. So I went back in and researched that and then that became a book. And then I was like, I guess I'm doing this thing. <laughs> so the natural next place to go is teams because we do so much of our work in teams. And, and then I just did a refresh of Wired to Grow because neuroscience is moving so fast that what was true five years ago has already shifted a little bit. So I just released a totally updated and expanded Wired to Grow second edition that came out this summer. Awesome. So I, I think that totally makes sense. Uh, you know, the whole change management made you write Wired to Resist. Is that what? Yes. Okay. And uh, so are we going to see more refreshes of uh, Wired to Connect and Wired to Resist as well? Yeah, my next focus will be, so, you know, I, I both write books and now I'm building learning solutions. So what's coming out in 2020 is my uh, brain-based manager training. And I'm going to have a series of six sessions that are all focused at helping managers bring out the best in others, really using biology and brain science as the base. And then in 2021, the new book will come out. Uh, that's going to be on um, the brain science of purpose and innovation. And then probably after that, I'll refresh, resist, because by then it'll be, I think, four years old. So I'll probably be in a cycle of every three or four years refreshing my books. But I always am so curious. I'm going to be writing new stuff in the middle of this as well. Yeah, no, and you mentioned that you're a big time researcher. So I, I, I'm sure there's plenty that you can give out to, you know, all the L&D professionals out there. Yeah, I love, you know, I, I, my followers are a lot of L&D and HR professionals, and I really love working with them. And my goal is to just give them the tools they need to really be successful, because they're already doing the work of up-leveling the skill of the people in their organization. Yeah, awesome job, Britt. I mean, truly, and I'm also a fan, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm always humbled when I meet my fans. I, I just feel so lucky to get to do this work. And the fact that it's a value to other people just feels like I've won the lottery. It's really wonderful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in, in fact, um, this, this reminds me of something that, you know, the first time when we spoke about uh, uh, this podcast and uh, during our initial meeting, you said that we all need to be the electrician of our brain and we need to wire it wisely. I mean, Bam, that, that's a quote that kept ringing in my head even after the call. And uh, as a matter of fact, somehow you got it wired in my head. Uh, and I, I, I think, <laughs> <laughs> right, and I was really intrigued. And uh, I was pretty much intrigued about the brain science aspects that you'd mentioned even in the call. So that's, that's what I want to get into next. How did you get yourself into brain science? Well, it's interesting, you know, my own, I have a PhD and when I did my doctoral work, my PhD is in education, leadership and organizations. So I've always been studying that kind of intersection between leadership and learning. But neuroscience wasn't really a field back then when I was doing my studies. So um, fast forward, I'm a working adult and I lived through a traumatic childhood and I was seeking therapy as an adult because I started having panic attacks. And as I was working with my therapist, they were teaching me about PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, the uh, stress disorder, and that bio, you know, it's our biology that can cause these old scars or these old wounds to trigger us and have us be freaking out in, in our present situation, even though we're safe. And so that was really kind of the beginning of someone introducing me to brain science. But because I'm a scholar and I'm not intimidated to go into the research journals and, and read scholarly papers, 
I started digging in and, and learning more on my own because it just really intrigued me. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting story as well. And I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, many people must have asked you about it. And uh, there is this one TED talk that you've given a while back. And this was about uh, how our human wiring to survive and belong can hijack our success, both professionally and personally. I'm sure a lot of it comes from your experiences uh, across the years. And uh, uh, how did you actually come about with the whole TED talk? I believe it is about amygdala hijacking for success, right? Yes. So I learned about the amygdala hijack in my own personal journey. Uh, and I was using it to kind of help myself understand when I might be triggered and when I got triggered and kind of that fight or flight response was going off in my body, learning how to kind of manage it better. But at the same time, I'm also an executive coach and consultant. I'm working with organizations. And I realized that it was impacting people from all backgrounds and all levels of success. So I found myself teaching people on a regular basis what amygdala hijacks are, what it means when to have our hot buttons pushed or that we get triggered and that it can, you know, when that happens, when our fight, flight, freeze response takes over, it literally takes our logical thinking brain offline and it also removes our sense of self-awareness which is why you can have a normally calm, wonderful person do really dumb things when they're in that state. And I started seeing it everywhere. And I found myself teaching people about it. So, you know, I realized, wow, if I only have, you know, if I considered that TED talk, like if I only get this opportunity to speak to a lot of people one time in my life, if this is my 15 minutes, what do mm -hmm. I want to do with it? And I thought, you know, the one thing we all need to know is this thing about how we're wired to have the amygdala hijack. So that was the thing I wanted to teach everyone. Um, because, you know, if you look at all the headlines today, it's just series after series of people not knowing about this thing or how to control it in themselves. And yet we all have it. So that was the beginning. I didn't realize I would have many more opportunities to be on stage and to share, share information, but that was a really important message. I recorded it a few years ago, but it stands the test of time because our biology just does not change that much. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to all the listeners of this podcast, make sure to check out this TED Talk. Believe me, it's totally worth it. <laughs> Thanks, Gokul. Right. So, um, and, and you've been doing really great, Brett. I think so many different shows where, where you're the mainstream speaker. And uh, uh, um, have you been exploring more different topics like, uh, you know, Amygdala Hijack stands alone. It, it's unique on its own. Uh, are there any similar topics that you generally speak on? You know, through all of my talks, you're going to find the, the theme of brain science. And the one thing I say in every talk and every book is if you remember nothing else, remember this about humans. We're wired to do three things, survive, belong, and become. So let me tell you a little bit more about each of those. Survival is what you think it is, right? It's our need for food, water, shelter. And when people are going through a situation like a hurricane or a geopolitical strife of some kind, uh, you'll see how much that becomes so pressing for people to, to find the basic needs of survival. But for most of us, we have jobs, our lives are pretty good. So how survival shows up is in performance reviews or when we're getting feedback from our boss because our paycheck is how we buy food, water, shelter. So organizations can actually kind of stir up people's survival stuff anything that has to do with your ability to keep a job, move ahead, get opportunities professionally, that's gonna hit survival. 
Our next core need is to belong. And this is because we're very much a tribal species and it's because it's tied to survival. We were much more likely to survive back in the day and even today um, by living in groups and looking out for each other. And if we were ousted from a group, we were much more likely to be killed by a lion or something else on the, you know, wherever we lived in the world. And so entire components of our biology are dedicated to helping us know how to read emotion in others, how to collaborate with others, and also how to sense when we're being excluded, because that's going to push, put us more in danger of being ousted by the tribe and, and, and then not surviving. And then finally is our need to become our best selves. It's, it's probably our deepest need. We are a species of seekers that is always seeking to grow and improve. You know, when we achieve something, we celebrate for a minute and then we create a whole new goal. Um, so becoming our best selves is tied to our need to, to learn and grow and, and be our best, whatever that looks like. And so what's funny is when I, want, or when I work with organizations, they're like, yeah, we want everyone to show up their best selves and do their best work. And I'm like, great, then stop reorging them every six months, you know, stop messing with their, do performance reviews differently. You're triggering all their survival and belonging stuff and you can't get them there to that higher level state if you're not paying attention to what you're doing on those other levels. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's incredible uh, thought, Brent. I think uh, makes complete sense. And, and, and a lot of the people who are listening to this, I'm sure uh, they must have come to learn more about, you know, just how companies are uh, working out with the digital adoption. But, uh, you know, Brent, this is even more incredible when, when they actually get to know how their brain works and how they should be thinking about them and their employees. And that is where the whole, uh, you know, that is where the perspective has to change. Yeah, for sure. And any digital adoption is a form of change, right? And change, our body sees change first as potential danger. And then when we get enough information and we can see that there's going to be an opportunity where I might gain something as opposed to lose something that matters to me, then we can settle down and get on board with the change. But at first, biologically, we're wired to do a lot of resistance to change. And I think leaders get surprised by this and, and they expect everyone to be super excited when they announce the new digital adoption, for example, and everyone starts complaining, but it, they're just being human. They're just being normal. Eventually they'll settle down and get on board with it. But as a leader, if you understand the biology of resistance, you can first of all, be prepared for it. And second of all, you can do a lot to lessen it or shorten it. You cannot make it go away entirely because it is a biological process but you can do a lot to make it easier for people to get on board with change and so a lot of my change solutions for example really help leaders think through and prepare and, and give them strategies for helping people move through the inevitable resistance faster and get on board and, and adapted to the change faster i know there's plenty more you can talk about this but you know i wanted to digress a bit into yet another topic which you're really passionate about that's the learning bit so um you know i i did see the three-phase model of learning that uh, you have introduced through your books that is learn remember and do M much like the three phase which you just mentioned right now right and at what makes we preach something very similar that's learning by doing or learning in the flow of work so uh, i'm really curious of how your three-phase model compares against like learning by doing and and how does learn, remember, do pan out in real-time scenario in, uh, for businesses? 
Well, you know, I'm looking at, so my model, you know, the three-phase model of learning is when we look at all the brain's uh, science of how the brain actually learns, if you think about it, you know, learning happens first by we have to take that information in. So the first phase is learn. And however that goes, whether it's done well or it's done poorly, it's how the information first comes into our brain. The second phase is remember. So if that learning doesn't get pushed into long-term memory so we can access it for weeks or years to come, that learning is a waste of time. It, it, it's like it didn't even happen. So we also have to think about, can we design learning events so that they actually go into memory better? And do they get, are they stickier? Are they there to be recalled when needed? And then finally, most professional learning um, has to do with behavior change. So, you know, I'm really focused on the kind of learning that happens in our workplaces. And there's really no learning that we roll out where we're not trying to get someone to do something differently, either be a better manager, use software differently. Um, so inevitably, when you're changing behavior, we're talking about changing habits. And it's really thinking about what are the words and actions you want to see people doing and making sure your learning event is truly getting them on a path to do that in the way that you want. There's a, what I see in a lot of learning events is a disconnect. There'll be a great event, but it's not really driving behavior change. Or they're going after specific behavior change, but they're not actually giving people the right tools to, to ultimately do it successfully. So my goal is to kind of help learn, you know, people who design learning events for others to really get clear. But you're absolutely right. In professional learning, a big part of, of how we learn is by doing it. And we can't get around that. You can sit in a room and listen to information until you're blue in the face. But unless you get up and start doing it, you have not yet formed a neural pathway in your own body. And that's how we get people to true behavior change. Got it. And uh, when you go to the next step, let's say an organization decides to adopt this model of learning. So their next area of focus should be uh, designing and effectively delivering these modules to the employees, right? So what would you recommend as the best practices during this stage? Yeah, so again, you know, good learning aligns with how the brain naturally learns. Our, our brain is a learning machine. It's, it's how we move through the world, and it has been for eons <laughs> since human first started walking around. Yeah. Um, so it's really about aligning with that. So things like our attention span wanes after 20 minutes. So why fight that? Try to build your learning into chunks of 15 to 20 minute segments followed by a processing activity that not only drives behavior change, but also then pushes that learning into memory. Um, you know, learning is longer lasting if you can attach it to something that the learning, the learner already knows. Scientists call these schemas. So what you want to do is think about how can I attach this new thing I want them to know to something that they're already doing that they're already aware of. So I use a lot of metaphors. For example, my, my change training is built around the metaphor of hiking or mountain climbing, because even if you've never done it, you know what it is. So then I kind of attach everything to this schema in their brain that, that I know everyone in the room already has some familiarity with. And then finally, you know, if we want to change behavior, we have to give people time to practice. It takes 40 to 50 repetitions of the behavior to form a habit in the brain. And yet most learning events don't even involve any practice, let, enough, let alone enough practice. So I'm encouraging my tribe to start really shifting how you think about learning so that, you know, maybe people get the information in a pre-learning event and then you spend the time in the room having them actually do it five, six, ten times. Uh, and this is especially true with digital adoption. You know, give people the opportunity to, to wire that new behavior um, it'll make the, the whole transition go faster and better if you're helping them get there.
Yeah, makes complete sense. So um, then what about once it is, uh, once it is all executed, right? So they figured out how to go about the learning process and how to actually deliver it. Then the next focus is to track and accordingly improve the process, right? It's consistently happening. So in those cases, what are the metrics that define the success of executing such a model? And I, I believe that what cannot be tracked cannot be scaled. Yes, I agree. The thing that I would change though is you should actually be figuring this out before you build your learning solution. So if you first need to identify what are the behaviors I'm trying to change and how do we measure those, because then that'll help you build the right learning solution. But after you build it, then you got to go and track it. So for me, I like to use the Jack Phillips model. Uh, it's, it's a version of the Kirkpatrick model of evaluation, but there's five levels of evaluation. The most basic level most people do this is just satisfaction. You know, did learners like the program? So did they, you know, did they enjoy it? And that's useful, you know, we want them to enjoy it, but if, if that's all that happens, it wasn't worth your time. The next level is learning. So that's really looking at, did they understand what they were being taught? And you can only get at this through some assessment of some kind, you know, where you either ask them or you, you, te their, you test their knowledge in some way. The third level is implementation. And this means they took the learning and they started deploying it on the job. So we want to see that, that transfer of knowledge from being a mental exercise to actually changing what they're doing on the job. So you've got to be able to look for signs of that. The next is impact. And so ultimately learning has a goal. It's usually trying to increase something or decrease something. So you might be wanting your team to get to market faster, or you want people to make fewer errors, or you want managers to get higher engagement scores, right? There's something that you're tracking. So the fourth level is impacts. Did the learning change the behavior? And are you seeing the, the needle move on the data, whatever data you're tracking? And then finally, the last level is ROI, or return on investment, which is did the investment you made in the learning pay off by generating more benefit than it cost? So if you spent $10,000 on the learning solution, but it made managers better, and therefore you saw less you know, attrition of some of your top talent, which you can measure in some kind of dollar way, then yes, it paid for itself. And if you're not able to, you know, as a learning designer, if you're not able to think through those five levels and, and think about how you're going to show the benefit of your work, but more importantly, use that data to help you build the right solution, then you're probably going to have a learning event that maybe people liked, but didn't really make a difference. And I always want, if we're going to take people and put them through a learning event, I want to make sure that they got a lot out of it and it made a difference. Talking about making a difference, um, right? So we, we did touch upon this topic uh, a bit earlier and I believe the major catalyst for driving success, uh, especially for these model of learning and development would be fostering a change in the mindset of our learners, right? So how do you actually go about instigating this change? I'm sure there's a framework which you have already um, mentioned before, but then uh, how do managers actually instigate these change? Well, so you're asking two different questions. So let me answer it on two different levels. You know, if we're thinking about creating change in our learners, you know, most learning events are designed by someone in the L&D or talent management space. So I think the most important thing is usually when a learning, you know, someone decides that learning needs to happen, it's because something's not working, right? They want to change a number of some kind. And that's a great reason, but it's coming from above. And 
if you really want to get your learners to change, the learning experience has to matter to them. It has to address a real need they have. It has to help them with a real pain point. And what I see is that learning is often designed, you know, decided on designed by the leaders of the organization of their own agenda. And while that matters, if you also don't address the learner's need, they're just going to sit there and be bored. They're going to be disconnected from it. And they might even actively resist it. So I always feel like when I'm designing a learning, I'm not only finding out what the leader wants, I go and meet a few of the learners and I find out what they need. And then I design for something that does both. The other thing you need to do is you have to meet your learners where they're at. So whatever level of knowledge or skill or acceptance they have, you got to meet them where they're at. And then your journey has to take them. So if they're really resistant to something, I might build at the beginning of the learning solution a lot of the why. Like, why are we doing this? And what could be the gains for you? So I get them on board before we really get into the content. Um, so I think, you know, just a little more thoughtfulness and a little bit more time on the front end, you can design these things so that when you actually deliver, people are really excited. And I've seen that time and again. The second question you ask is how do managers get employees excited for change? You know, it's a little bit of a different issue. Uh, so let's say a change is announced and the manager has to get their team on board with it. Um, you know, it's a couple things. It's, it's first of all, preparing yourself, knowing that there is going to be resistance, even if you do an awesome job. It's just a biological process. But part of it is, is letting people move through, through, through their own concerns about what they're going to lose, and then continually telling them what the opportunities are, showing them what they could gain, giving them the why of the change, breaking it into manageable steps, and then, you know, marking and celebrating progress along the way. Um, there's a lot that managers can do to really help engage people in change and get them excited about it and, and doing it in a really wonderful way. Thanks, Rick. That's definitely some insightful um, ideas there, right? And um, I wanted to change the scenario, but you know, I have a question which I've been dying to ask actually. <laughs> so it's about the learning courses that you've been creating on Linda.com. Um, I believe uh, many of them are still available on Linda uh, or LinkedIn Learning, and uh, some of them have 10 million plus views, right? I'm sure you're already a, pretty much a celebrity there, aren't you? <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, I, I sometimes do get recognized. It's funny because enough people have access to LinkedIn Learning. So Lynda.com was purchased by LinkedIn, and so the Lynda.com library has slowly been, you know, some people had contracts with lynda.com, so they were still going in through that portal, but now it's all becoming LinkedIn learning. And if you have a LinkedIn premium account, you have access to the thousands and thousands of courses that are in your, that are in LinkedIn learning. So I encourage you to, to do that. It's, it's well worth the, the monthly fee. Um, and so, yeah, I sometimes get recognized by people who they're like, I think I know you from somewhere. And then it, ultimately they've watched my course. So I look familiar mm -hmm. to them. Um, and then within the learning and development fields, uh, it's, it just, it cracks me up, but I am a little bit of a celebrity. Like when I go to conferences, people stop me for selfies and, uh, you know, like it's just funny. Like I have a little bit of a celebrity status in that, in that small slice of the world. Um, and it's very sweet. I, I'm very honored to have people who are fans of my work and that, and find value in what I do. Yeah, I'm sure it'll keep increasing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and so um, I, I watched a couple of these courses, and I, I was I was really wondering, you know, what is the motivation behind creating these courses, and you know, most importantly, where people of Linda or now LinkedIn 
um, are they still using it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what was interesting is I was hired by Linda Weinman, the, the founder, co-founder of lynda.com. She and her husband founded it. Um, I was hired to be the chief learning officer for the employees. And so I started doing, you know, the work with the managers and the employees to help them be better at their jobs. But the impact was so positive and so immediate that they were like, oh my gosh, you have to record this content so we can put it in the library. Mm -hmm. So we took the content and, and I wasn't expecting that to be part of my job, but pretty soon I was in a booth and, and being filmed and, and uh, we were putting the courses in the library and the, the audience was responding really positively. And then the sales and the marketing team started having me share my ideas with other senior learning leaders. And I began speaking at conferences and it all just took off from there. So uh, yeah, but absolutely to this day, my, my courses are still used by, um, by the employees of, of LinkedIn Learning and uh, LinkedIn in general, as well as organizations around the world. It's, it's really sweet. I get LinkedIn messages all the time. Every day I get several from people around the world that have just watched one of my courses and are reaching out. And, and I just feel, I love the power of this medium that I can reach people that I'll never meet in real life and that we can have a connection like that. And do you really get time to reply to each of these messages? I do. I reply to every single person who writes to me. Well, that's really impressive. <laughs> All right. And uh, so, Britt, I'm sure as a leader, uh, you would have faced a lot of issues in adoption of new technology. So this is a question that we ask of, to all our guests at the Digital Adoption Show. And uh, we want to understand how you actually explode or tackle these challenges for digital adoption within the companies that you worked in. And are there any instances that come to your mind uh, where you had to, uh, which actually stood out pretty much? Absolutely. I think it's really important to do your homework. Some solutions are best suited to certain conditions or even organization size. So you don't always discover that when you're, when you're first looking at something. So you really got to do your homework and find out, does this really work in the long run, right? Or behind the scenes. You also need to consider how various things need to play together and be sure to explore compatibility. Because sometimes one solution, while it looks great and it seems to have all the bells and whistles, it actually doesn't play with another core part of your business or another system that it needs to. And then, you know, I love salespeople, God bless them. But of course they're in the business of saying, yes, everything is perfect. Our, our thing is gonna be the perfect thing for you. But you really need to double check that yourself. So do thorough reference checks to make sure that the organization you're hiring has successfully done what they're bidding for you. Because sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, we've done that, but they haven't really. Um, insist on speaking to some of their customers. Make sure you, you really vet them. And also ask the tough questions when you're talking to those customers. Like, how did it really go? Were there any problems along the way? Did you feel really um, like they had the expertise needed to help you through this? Were there any problems that showed up later? You know, those kinds of questions. Because um, oftentimes people will only tell you the bad stuff if you ask for it directly. Otherwise, they're not gonna feel like they wanna throw someone under the bus. So if you do your homework, then you should be in a better position to, to really be able to advocate for the adoption that you wanna make and line it up so that it rolls out successfully. Perfect, and uh, so before I close things up, Britt, um, I have the last round of questions for you, and this is actually a rapid fire round, so. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> so here you go. So here's the first question. So what are your favorite books that you'd recommend to all those who are listening to this podcast? Wow. Um, 
Well, two books that really changed my perspective. The first one was Reinventing Organizations by F Frederick Leloux. It, it blew my mind about kind of the future of where organizations are going and how human consciousness is shifting. And that is also shifting our organization. So that one, take a look at. Um, last year, I read Altered Traits by Richard Davidson and Daniel Goleman, and it's all about the neuroscience of mindfulness. And that also was just incredibly powerful. If you've followed any of my work, you know that I've kind of woven mindfulness into some of it because I've just, I myself have just been so shifted by it. And well, I don't know, I'd recommend my books. Is that terrible to say? I think they're pretty good. Yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> All right. This is perfect. All right. Then uh, the second question. So uh, the future of L&D and HR, it's constantly changing. And so what are the new technological additives to L&D that you're really rooting for? You know, for sure, it's virtual reality. Uh, when I was doing the research on my update to wire to grow I, I was just really blown away by what the brain does with virtual reality. And it codes the virtual reality experience as a lived memory, which is a game changer. So now, you know, we can film uh, a work setting and then put people in the headsets and they're getting real, their body is gaining real memories of being there and doing certain behaviors. Now, virtual reality is not the solution to everything, but it's really, really, really useful for um, helping people develop like emotional connections or empathy. It's also helpful for them learning spatial things. Um, and also developing habits where getting a certain number of habits under your belt is, can really escalate or you know, scale that learning forward, particularly if doing it in real time is dangerous or hard to, to do financially. So I think everyone should be thinking about their VR strategy and really taking a look at some of the providers. Yeah, and I, I think uh, there are a lot of providers coming up for that, and uh, especially with L&D. Yeah, you know, for example, I'm speaking at ATD Technology in February, and um, I'm all about kind of really exploring this VR thing, because now once I see what the brain does with VR, it's, it's really powerful. But we also then need to use it in the right ways, and I think there's a few companies out there that are doing a great job with it. Perfect. And um, now the third question. So uh, this is about the courses that you created on uh, for lynda.com or rather LinkedIn learning, right? So which one are your favorites and uh, a must do for our listeners? Oh, wow. Um, gosh, I mean, I think the leading with emotional intelligence is a skill that everyone needs and it applies to you no matter what kind of career you're in or what level of your career. So that one's a good one for everyone to watch. And then, you know, I do have a course on organizational learning and development and also creating a culture of learning. There's a small suite of courses specifically for people in the talent management or HR space. So if you're in that space, I think those can be really useful. I share all of my best tips and tricks, so that might be of use to you. Perfect, so anybody with LinkedIn Premium can check this out in LinkedIn Learning. Yes, and I'm gonna be recording more courses, so more coming, and I'm also gonna be in other platforms as well in the coming, in the coming year. Awesome. So are you planning for a YouTube or Instagram maybe? <laughs> well, I do have some videos on YouTube um, and we'll probably be doing more of that, but I'm going to be doing some stuff with Skillsoft and possibly Cornerstone. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Now um, for the next question. So as an influencer in the space, I'm sure there are many who you look up to as well, right? Who are they? 
Great question. You know, I'm inspired by so many people from a lot of different disciplines. Um, you know, just some that come to mind, Jennifer Brown and Verna Myers are doing really great work on diversity and inclusion. And ever since I wrote the book on the brain science of teams, like we all need to be paying attention to inclusion. It's super important. Um, Amy Edmondson's work, she's at Harvard. Her research on psychological safety has really influenced me. So I think that's something we should all be looking to. Um, in terms of L&D, I think Carl Kapp's work on gamification is really impressive. And of course, I really, you know, I'm really into the mindfulness thing. So I follow Richard Davidson's studies. He's the one that's putting, you know, meditators on MRI machines. And he's really taking a neuroscience perspective about what are the benefits of mindfulness and how does it really work in our brains. And it's changed my life. I'm now a meditator as a result of his, of his research. Awesome. That's a shout out for everyone there. All right. And the first question. So... This is something that we ask all our guests on the podcast. So what is that one word or phrase that comes to your mind uh, when we say digital adoption and transformation? Wow. Uh, ongoing, mm, never ending. <laughs> one might say relentless. You know, I think technology is changing so fast and furious. It's just always driving change, right? And so, uh, it, you know, we need to get used to it because it's kind of the new normal. But I feel like it's the kind of thing where we just can't ever settle down. It's, it's going to be shifting. So embracing that it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing journey and then kind of getting comfortable with that. That's just perfect. So, well, guys, there we go. Digital transformation is simply ongoing, never ending and relentless. That's exactly put, uh, Britt. So, uh, yeah, that, that's it for the rapid fire round. And uh, we have come to end of yet another episode of the digital adoption show. So Britt, once again, Thanks for joining us on the podcast. It has been an amazing episode. I really loved our conversation. Thank you. I did too, Gokul. And I'm so honored that you asked me to be part of your podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's totally been epic. And, uh, you know, for all the audience who have, uh, who may have questions on, you know, brain science and uh, the LMD ideas that they've given and even the managerial ideas, right? So Brett, uh, where can they reach you and uh, how can they reach you rather? You know, my website has it all. So it's just my name, brittandriata.com. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. So please connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on LinkedIn. I would love to connect with you. Perfect. Also, uh, last but not the least. So if you're looking for a digital adoption solution to streamline your digital adoption across your enterprise applications, then do check out whatfix.com. We have something really interesting there for you. So once again, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast and uh, stay tuned to the Digital Adoption Show for more great content and some really incredible speakers like Brett here. So have a great one. Uh -huh.